tonight. This last week I started back in on a series uh, on important things. And this morning we're going to go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 18, if you would. And last week we talked about the importance of the Bible. Why did God give us a Bible to learn from and to turn to and to be able to have? We talked a lot about it being so important to us so that we can read it and study it and learn it and have it. And so we're turning in that book today. And in Luke chapter 18, I won't read the parable itself, but Luke chapter 18 and verse number 1, And he, that be Jesus, spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Uh, so this morning we talk, we'll, we'll talk about the importance of prayer, the importance of prayer. Prayer is uh, an amazing and a wonderful thing. It's probably one of the highest, if not the highest privilege a Christian gets. Uh, it, it is the highest privilege. It's a privilege to pray, by the way. I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, it is the highest privilege that you and I could possibly have. The Lord here is trying to give this uh, parable, and you know the parable if you just scan down a few verses, right? It's the woman and her continual coming to the judge that causes him to go ahead and act upon her desire and what she is coming for. And prayer, the Lord is admonishing that men ought always to pray and not to faint. To always pray and not to faint. We find it repeatedly in the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, as part of the armor, as the Apostle Paul is finishing up writing about the armor, he says, and praying always. Praying always. Part of the armor, praying always to keep you safe in your protection. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 17, uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us to pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing. Prayer is uh, vital to the Christian life. Uh, Paul makes the comment repeatedly, making mention of you in our prayers, making mention of you always in our prayers, praying for you always, repeatedly. He does it in Romans, he does it in Ephesians, he does it in Thessalonians, he does it in First and Second Timothy, he does it in Philemon. Repeatedly, Paul is going, hey, I am making mention of you always in my prayers. Well, it seems that if Jesus Christ would admonish us that he wants us to pray and to not faint, and the Apostle Paul's statement repeatedly is that we ought to pray and that he was always praying, that maybe it's something pretty important in our lives. That maybe it's something we ought to make sure we have incorporated and ingrained in our lives just as much, if not more, than you do right now. And so I think, I think sadly, myself included, uh, we don't put as high of a premium on our prayer life as we ought to. Uh, now, I haven't done it yet. I haven't finished it. It is interesting. Feel free. Take a look. Start looking at what Paul asked people to pray for. What Paul asked them to pray for. Because oftentimes, you know what we have? We have a prayer life that is very much just coming to God for our wants. That's not a real prayer life. And yes, God wants to meet your need and he wants to go ahead and answer and he wants to do... Don't get me wrong. We're going to cover some of that. But the sad reality is that that is what most people feel their prayer life is. Let me come to God and ask him for all the things that I want him to do because he is just the genie that I rub the lamp of and he's got to give me what I asked. And it doesn't matter how many wishes I get... I get to keep asking and he's just going to do whatever it is that I ask because that's not our prayer life. That shouldn't be our prayer life. Our prayer life ought to be better than that and it ought to be one that is quite amazing and it's amazing and important because of certain aspects of what we have because of prayer. And so this morning I want to preach on why it is important that we pray. The importance of our prayer life. Uh, the importance that you and I do not place normally on it, uh, a lot of times, and most people, I would dare say that most Christians, they do not put a premium on the time that they spend in prayer. 
They don't make it the priority that God makes it. They don't make it the priority that the Apostle Paul made it. They don't make it the priority that they ought to make it. And so I will, uh, I will start with this quote, and uh, I will probably end with it as well. But he says, uh, verse, uh, Martin Luther said this. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I'll say it again, and then, and then I'm going to have a word of prayer. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. You want a real Christian life, you need to have prayer. That's how important it is. It's vital. It's vital. Let's have a word of prayer ourselves right now, and let's go ahead and we'll talk about prayer today. Father, I thank you for your mercies and your grace upon us. I thank you that your mercies are renewed every morning, and as we stand here and Father, as we gather together today, even your mercies have been renewed for us again, and we thank you so much for that. We thank you that you're a wonderful God, that you've already uh, done amazing things over the weekend, Father, for some of our teens and some of our adults that were able to go, some who couldn't go, and they got to watch it and, and be able to experience some of that with us, Father. I do pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to praise you and thank you, Father, for three souls coming to you, and Father, for being saved for all of eternity. Father, I thank you so much for the blessings that you've put upon us this week, and I pray we would not take that for granted. Help us to keep it in remembrance of the great things that the Lord hath done for us. This morning, I do pray you'd help me to say what needs to be said, nothing more and nothing less, that you would, Father, put upon me just the, just the words you want said. Father, I pray you'd give me clarity of thought and mind that I'd be able to say, uh, Father, exactly the message you want presented in the way that you want it presented today, that there would be no distractions for me and that there would be no distractions for those that are listening. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to regard our prayer life much higher than we probably do even now. And Lord, I pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory this day. I pray if someone here has never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray today would be the day of salvation and they would call upon you even now. And Lord, we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our prayer life uh, is important. It's important, number one, first thing I want you to think about is uh, the, one, the one that you're coming to. Come over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, he says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, you realize that uh, the one that you're coming to makes it important. Prayer is important to the Christian because of the one that they are about to step in front of and make their request known. It's important because you and I have a high priest, and it's a great high priest. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the one who gave his life a ransom for many. It is the one who was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. It is the one who is able to succor them that would trust in him. It's the one who can go ahead and meet every need, who is the great comforter. It is the one who can go ahead and supply and take care of and be able to manage all the things that you and I go through. He is the advocate with the Father that you and I need to advocate our cause. The same one that Job looked around and said, Hey, is there not a daysman? Is there not somebody who could go between me and God and help him to see that I am a man and that I am flesh and blood and the problems that I have, God can't understand. But if there was a daysman that could go between us, if there was an advocate who could plead my cause before a holy God and be able to proclaim to him my need, he says, Hey, I would take him. And Jesus Christ steps in and says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he steps in between and says, I understand. I understand. I was a man. 
And being found in fashion as a man, I humbled myself and I became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's important because he's the one you're coming to. Because the God of the universe, the Son of the living God, goes ahead and steps down from the glories of heaven to give his life and then steps back up and says, don't worry, I'm the all-sufficient Savior and I'm the advocate and I'm the one who can stand in between and mediate between a holy God and a sinful man and go ahead and see if we can bridge the gulf for salvation. We can bridge the gulf for the needs of your life and the times when you've been down. And he goes, and we remember that we're but dust. And God looks down and he says, I know you're dust. But we can take care of that. He's, he's so amazing. And it is important that we come before him because ultimately, James chapter 4, we won't go to all these places, there's so many verses on prayer, but you get over to James chapter 4 and what does he tell us? He tells us that we come before him. Why? Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, what makes it effectual? What makes it have any effect in our lives? What makes the change? What moves the hand of a holy God? What moves the hand of the almighty God of the universe that spoke it into existence? Well, it's the prayers of the saints. Coming before God who has all power. Well, I can't do anything about that situation. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm friends with the one who can. Why is it important that we come in prayer? Because the hand of God can move at the request of His child. And He has all the power. Jesus' statement of Matthew chapter 28, right? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. We forget oftentimes who we're asking. If you were able to just ask whatever it is you wanted to ask of someone, you know, you, you're, you're, let's say you were friends with, you know, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, one of those guys, you know, and they have more money than really they know what to do with, right? I mean, they're just wasting it at this point. <laughs> you walk up to them and you go, boy, you know, I need a million dollars for this. And they go, Okay. You walk over to Brother John and go, hey, John, I need a million dollars. You know what he says? I'll pray for you. Uh, why? He doesn't have it. Uh, he doesn't have a million dollars to give you. I don't have a million dollars to give you. I don't think anybody in this room has a million dollars. If you do, please give. Um, but, it, right, coming to me, that's not going to get you a million dollars from me. I don't have it. I can't give it. Right, the Apostle Peter, his, his statement, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. I don't have any money to give you. I don't have anything. I can't give you a million. And then the Christian steps in front of the God of the universe. And instead of making it something God could take care of for them, they decide they just want to make it mundane and boring. I heard Brother Gibbs preach one time and if you want to feel highly inadequate at preaching, listen to Brother David Gibbs preach, and then you'll feel completely inadequate at doing that. Um, but he got up, and you know what he said? He said, you know what, you know what sad reality is? Uh, we are willing to drive up to a drive-thru and pull up, and they ask that inevitable question. At McDonald's, it used to be, it was an old message, so all right, so don't forgive me. Uh, but he said, you know what they want? Uh, he, they, asked, they asked me the dumbest question ever, he said. Do you want to supersize it? And he goes, that's a dumb question. Of course I want to supersize it. Why wouldn't I? If you had a size bigger than that, it doesn't even matter if it fits in my cup holder. Let's go. And you step up to the throne of God, and you know what you don't ask for? You're going to ask it for God to size it. I'll make that God-sized. You say, what size is that? Impossible. Well, I don't want to ask that. I know that's impossible. Abraham was okay with asking for the impossible. Hey, could you raise my son from the dead? I guess you could probably do that. If I'm going to kill him, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you to raise him from the dead. Say, who limits what God can do? You do. You do. You have not because you ask not. 
You say, well, God doesn't have to give me that. I know he doesn't. But maybe you could ask him, maybe he would. Well, you know, he, he doesn't have to give me a million. Yeah, but he has it if he wants to give it, he could. Well, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't have to. I know he doesn't have to. What if he wanted to? And the only thing that's stopping is that you didn't ask him because you didn't realize the one you were coming to. Prayer is important. You say, why? Because the one we come to, he wants to meet all of our needs. You realize there's nobody else that wants to do what he does in your life? Who else wants to do what he can do for you? As a lost man, you come to him for salvation. There's nobody else in the world that can save you. Beside him, there is no Savior. He says, Jesus, may, uh, Peter makes a statement, right? He says, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's nobody else. You come to him for salvation, you know what you find? He's the only one that can save you. Well, then it's important you came to him. You realize in your life there's a whole lot of things going on nobody else can do anything about. But he can do anything he wants. Tonight, if I get to preach, I'm going to move on from this because I want to. I, I want to get into the rest of this. But uh, tonight, if I get to preach, I'm going to preach on our great God. I, I just want to talk about him tonight. He's amazing. I'm not going to be. Able, I can't put. You know why we use the word great? And I'm going to say this again tonight, so preview, all right? Uh, you know why we call him great? Because I don't know of a greater word. You, you realize when we can't figure out what word to use, they're great. <laughs> I mean, he's already called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We get thinking about, you know what we say? Oh, he's great. Great is the Lord and greatly. He's great, okay? He's great. So why do you use that? I can't figure out a better word. In all the English language, you know what you can't find? You can't find enough words to describe the greatness of who God is. How do you quantify, how do you quantify an eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, merciful and gracious and loving God? How do you put all that into words and make it so that you and I can grasp who He is? It's beyond measure. And you realize that's the one you're coming to every time you step before his throne and ask him for a thing or to thank him or to praise. How do you quantify that? Oh, he's great. <laughs> Boy, I feel like I'm already not doing him justice. <laughs> but I can't, I can't get you a better word right now. Say, who is he? He's great. And we come before our high priest who can feel our infirmities because he's effectually working in our lives, because he has all the power to be able to do whatever it is we're asking. That's why we come to him. That's the one we're coming to. Look over at 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Is everybody else tired this morning? Are we all? Are we? If you were at Youth Ablaze... And we had Thursday night, all day Friday. I caught, I caught about a 15-minute nap, I think, Friday afternoon. I think that's all I got to sneak in. And then uh, Saturday morning, we went at it again, and then we drove home. And I'm going to be honest. I'm a little tired. Um, I just am. I feel like it's just a little low in here this morning. It's all right. I, I want to try and I thought maybe that first one would pick us up a little more than it did. All right. But it didn't. So we're going to keep going. All right. Either way. I mean, I'm pretty excited, but I'm still just kind of low energy feeling. All right. So pray for me. Maybe I'll get a little more. But uh, here we are. First John chapter one. You know the spot. Verse number five. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now we find out in chapter 2 we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what do we need prayer for? I mean, I know it's important because he's because of the one we're coming to, uh, but it's important because it makes it so you can have friendship with God. It keeps your friendship in order. You know what is amazing to me? That the God of the universe would want to be my friend. <laughs> yeah. You ever have people that you, you, you know, you're friends with and you wonder why they'd even want to be your friend? Maybe you think more highly of yourself than you do, all right? But... Uh, then you probably should, but for me, uh, I was there on uh, uh, at the you know at Youth Ablaze all weekend, and I'm, I'm uh, I got a little extra privilege for the weekend. Uh, you say why? Well, I was leading I was leading all the singing, helping out Brother Chad, doing all that. So you get certain extra blessings, you know, certain things. All our kids got extra blessings. So how do you know that? They sat in row four. Center side, they got blessings because I was, I was the song leader, all right? You all got, that was the best seats I think you all have ever sat in, ever at a youth ablaze. So praise the Lord. Uh, so what do you get? Well, you get added benefits when you serve the Lord, just in case you're wondering. But, uh, but I got to hang out and I got talking with, uh, uh, of course, with Brother Eddie Wyatt and Brother Mark Stroud and Brother uh, Daniel Waters and the preachers. I got, to, I got to spend extra time with them that most people didn't get to. We're having pizza and wings afterwards. We're going and we're talking. And, uh, you know, Brother Eddie's coming up to me after I preached on Saturday morning. And he's thanking me. And I'm thinking, Brother Eddie, Brother Eddie sends me a text message. And, you know, and we're talking. And you're like, what are you thinking? Why is this guy talking to me? I'm like, I love Brother Eddie. Uh, I love Brother Wyatt. He's, he's, a, great, he's a great preacher. He's a, and, but he, count, he counted me as his friend. Lord, I think he doesn't need me to be his friend. What am I doing for him? I'm not doing anything for him. He's not going to, I mean, he could, but he's not calling me down for a meeting. He's got plenty of guys to preach meetings. He's not asking me to have him in. He's got plenty of meetings he can go to. <laughs> he doesn't need me for anything. You get thinking about it. What does the Lord need you for? You ever that friend that's, they're just good to you and they're friends with you and they enjoy your company and you think, I have no idea why you'd actually like to be around me. But they do. And then you look at the Lord and you go, I have no idea why you'd want to be around me. I have no idea why'd you want, why you'd want to be my friend. I don't know why. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I don't know why he cares for me. But boy, he does. You start thinking about you and all the things that you've done this week and all the things that you've thought and all the terribleness that you are, and you go, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory. And all. You start looking at who you really are and who he really is, and you know what you think? Why would you be friends with me? Why would you want a fellowship? Why would you want me to come and spend any time in front of your throne? Why is it that you'd want me to step up there to the greatest being in the universe and go ahead and plead with you or to talk with you or to fellowship with you or to do anything with you? Wouldn't you just want to cast me aside like everybody else would? The Lord says, no, I want a fellowship with you. I want you to spend time with me. No matter what, I just want you to spend some time with me. Well, I can't do anything for you. I know but I just want to spend some time with you. Whew. You get to Exodus chapter 33, right? Moses, God's friend, right? He goes, I speak to him face to face. Verse number 11, I speak to him face to face as a man speaketh with his friends. You know what the Lord wants? He wants face time with you. He wants some face time. He wants you to go ahead and spend some time just with him. You know what's amazing? You go ahead and you start thinking about, uh, and this gets a little bit into, into what we're praying. 
and how we use our, our time to pray. And of course, we ought to ask for forgiveness. Praise the Lord, he's forgiving. Oh, he wasn't, we'd be in trouble. Without his mercies, we'd all be consumed. And you get praying, and you pray, you know, and you give him forgiveness, and you praise him. Sometimes you just praise him because he's been so good to you. You ever recognize you start praying for how good he's been to you? You start just falling apart, man. You could pray for forever uh, for the things that he has done. You start thinking about all the little things he's just taken care of over and over and over again and the goodness and the mercies of God that has reached down into your life and all of the benefits that have come just because he stepped one little moment into your life and all the greatness of who he is has just stepped down and he decided he wanted to give you some blessings and so he reaches down and then he doesn't have you pay for all the stupidity that you've done in your life and he removes some of that stuff too and he goes ahead and makes it so you can have all the blessings that he wants to give and he goes ahead and gives you life more abundant and you start for it, you start thanking him for it and all of a sudden you get down to one spot and have you ever been to the place where you're praying and you're down and you've just been praying for a while and you just kind of sit there quiet you don't have anything to say and you're just kind of sitting there and you don't want to get up. You don't want to go, oh, I'm done, amen. You just kind of pause. You know, some of your best friends in the world you just sit down with, and they don't have to say anything, and you don't have to say anything. You just sit there. And they may know you're going through terrible times and they may know that things aren't going the way that you, ought, you think they ought to go. And you may be sitting right there and they know everything about what's going on with you. But they know better than to say anything and you aren't saying anything either. And you just sit there together. Dare I say that might be the best time of friendship you'll ever have with your Savior. Some people, they don't, they don't even know how to do that with the Lord. Say, so what do you mean? They're too busy telling him all the things he's done wrong. Or all the things he hasn't shown up to do. Or the ways that they haven't been treated the way they ought to be treated. Or the things he needs to get done today. Because if he doesn't do that, then they're, they're going to walk away. They're too busy complaining and murmuring. They don't recognize he's their best friend in the world. Say, what's our prayer life? Our prayer life shows how great of a friend we are to the greatest being that it's ever been. And some days, you know what you might want to do? Just step in the throne room and sit down. Not ask him for a thing. And just say, I just want to stay here. I just want to be in your presence for just a little while before I have to go back out there and deal with that. You know, if you could... Some of you have some heroes, some people you look up to, some people you hold up highly. I'll say this as a, I'll say this as a Yankees fan. I love, the, I love the Yankees. You all know that. They're, they're my team. You know, so guys like Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter that I grew up watching, and these guys. When I was a kid, honestly, if I, when I was a kid, if I got to meet one of them, I would have lost it. I'd have been so excited that I got to meet up with him face to face. When's the last time you got excited? Because you got to go meet with God face to face. 
When's the last time it excited you that you got FaceTime with the most powerful being in the universe, the God of the universe that spoke everything into existence, and you got to spend some time with him? But instead, we just take that as mundane. You meet your favorite TV host, or you meet your favorite sports figure, or you meet your favorite whatever it is that you love, and you go ahead and you meet them face to face, you'd be more excited. You get to meet with the God of the universe whenever you feel like it, and you don't even care. You make zero procession. You don't make it a big deal about him, you make it all about you. You make it all about the things that you want, and the things that you could have, and the things that he hasn't done for you that you feel like he needs to do. And the times when he's, you feel like he's failing. And the times when he just doesn't do it the way that you ought to do it. And instead, you know what you end up with? You end up with a friendship like some of you have in this life. Where they become estranged friends. And they're just acquaintances now. And God's going, I wanted fellowship. I wanted friendship. I wanted FaceTime, but you don't have time for me. So why is prayer so important? Because of the one you're coming to? Because it shows him you're his friend. Come over to First Peter. I say, boy, you're feeling pretty emotional this morning. I just know how terrible I am. And then you start thinking, we just, we spent an entire weekend thinking about how great God is. As a theme, for all he hath done for us. You start thinking about how great he has been to you and you realize that your prayer life doesn't really show how great he is. I'm talking about me. I don't, I don't need to worry about what you did or didn't do. I know what I am. I know how I am. And the times that I just don't put in, and I don't make him, we, we take the people who are closest to us oftentimes and we push them aside because we know we can. And sadly, we do that with him. I know he'll forgive me. I know I can take time later. I know he's there whenever I need it. And we take him for granted and we set him aside. 1 Peter chapter 5 that in all things he might have the preeminence. I must say this. This is nowhere near this. If a Christian could get down that in all things he might have the preeminence, you and I would never miss. We'd never make a mistake. If Jesus Christ always had the preeminence in our lives, you and I would never fail him. Anyways. 1 Peter 5. Let's go there. Verse 5. You know the spot. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Oof. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about who, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know what Peter's telling us? You know why prayer is important? Because there's nobody else who can take the burdens you bear. Who are you going to go to that understands what you're going through? Who are you going to go to that knows everything that he knows? Who's going to go ahead and be able to actually take it from you and be able to do something? You know what we do with our problems often? We take our problems to somebody <laughs> who can do nothing about our problems. And we complain to them and we go, oh, this is awful, isn't it? And they go, yeah, that's bad, man. What do I do? No idea. <laughs> I don't even know. 
Oh, glad that's not my problem. That's his problem. There's nothing they can do for you. I'm not, I don't mean seeking counsel. You know what I mean. Go ahead and write. You've had those people in your life. They, they back up. They bring their garbage truck. They dump the whole truck on top of you. And they tell you all the things, right? And then they go, yeah. And they feel great now. They're like, oh, I feel so much better after telling you all of my garbage. And you go, thank you for piling all your stink on me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right? And what could they do? What could they do? That's why David made his complaint before the Lord. Why? Because the Lord can do something about your complaint. The Lord can take your burden and go ahead and go ahead and let you know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He can go ahead and exchange your burden. He exchanged your burden of sin for his light weight of righteousness. <laughs> he exchanged the troubles and the trials and the problems for the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, that will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He goes ahead and takes all of your burden and he gives you all of the greatness of who he is. Why is prayer important? Because you and I get labored and heavy laden. And it's not always with sin. He tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin. Sometimes we're weighed down by things that are more situations than sins. So we gotta do, I gotta get rid of that too. I gotta lay aside. I gotta lay it aside. Well, where do I lay it? You lay it with him. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Why? He resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The humble man will recognize he needs the grace of God. And he'll come before a throne of grace and say, God, this is bigger than me. And I can't handle my burdens. I can't handle this. So I'm going to come and give it to you. Grace to the humble. Grace to who he can give grace to. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't get the problem changed, but he did get the grace of God to get through his trials. And my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, well, then I'll gladly glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll take the power of Christ any day over him relieving all the, all the problems. If I could have his power, I'll keep the problems because the problems don't seem so big. Well, yeah, but if, if he takes away all the problems, yeah, you don't need his power. You don't need a throne of grace. You don't need him. So you leave him out. Why do the problems come? Sometimes they come just to make sure you understand you still need him. He brings the burdens so you realize you can leave the burdens with him and that he is sufficient to meet the need again and again and again. There's not one burden the Lord can't take and there's not one burden he's not willing to give you grace for. So how do you know that? Because His grace is sufficient. He might not give you mercy and take it all away, but I do know one thing. He is willing to give you grace. You might not find mercy, but you'll always get grace. Say, what's grace? The unmerited favor of God to get you through your trial. I know there's saving grace, and I know that the grace of God is part of the reason that you and I got saved and that is we trusted him and he gave us unmerited favor that he would give us heaven for all of eternity and forgive us of our sins and merciful to us. Uh, but you and I need the grace of God every day. And it's not saving grace. It's not that idea. It is the grace of God that he would be merciful and gracious to us today knowing we're going to heaven for all of eternity but also knowing that we fail him. Also knowing we have troubles. Also knowing we have trials. Also knowing we need him still. To be gracious.
Go to Exodus, if you would. Lastly, you've got the one that you're coming to. That's why it's important. It's important because the throne of grace. It's important because it shows your friendship, your face-to-face time with the Lord. It's the place you come to to leave your burdens. Without prayer, you and I, how do you alleviate those? Well, you do what the world does. You go to a bottle and you go to drugs and you go to, you do all the other things. And what's the Christian do when they're in burdens? They go see the one who can actually take care of them. It's amazing to me. A world goes ahead and they, they go ahead and they do all those things. And you know what they're left with? They're left with the same problems plus the problem they just added by going to those things. The Christian's the only one who can be freed from the bondage and the burden of those problems if they'd be willing to go to the one who can take the burdens. The lost man could get the same thing if he'd be willing to turn to God. They could find a Savior and the burden of sin would be taken from them. They can turn to Him and they can have the burden of sin removed and then they can go ahead and have the peace of God that passeth all understanding start coming in and start going ahead and taking care of the problems that they do have. I'm not one of those people who goes, oh, well, you know, this prosperity gospel, you trust in Christ and all your problems disappear. We still have problems. We just have somebody who's willing to bear the burden for us. Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 11 I apologize. I think I only said Exodus. I'll give you a moment. Exodus 32. You know what's happening here. Uh, Moses is going up on the mount. The children of Israel decide they're going to, you know, he's been gone for too long. So uh, Aaron, hurry up. Make us, make us some gods. And so they, of course, make the molten calf and do all the stupidity that they do, right? And the Lord's ready to destroy them. In fact, he says in verse number 9, The Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Moses is called the meekest man in all the earth. I think it's because of this next verse right here. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self. And said so unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto thee, or unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. A little while later, you get down to the end of the chapter in verse number 32. And he says, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of, the, out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses is the meekest man in all the earth because he was willing to humble himself in front of God. You realize Moses could have said, You're right, God. You should destroy them. You can start off with me and I'll be great. I want to make you a great nation. Moses, I'll wipe all them out. I'll just start over with you. Would God have not, would God have not still been just by wiping out all of Israel except for Moses? He'd have been absolutely just. He'd have been totally just. They deserved it. Would God still have fulfilled the promise that the nation of Israel would become a great nation and be blessed and be able to be and take the land of promise and all the things if he would have just started over with Moses, waited 120, 200 years, whatever, and did it all over again? Still would have fulfilled his promise. Just a different timetable, right? No big deal. Start over with Moses. I can do that. I'm God. <laughs> He's... He's an Israelite. I can go ahead and take him. I can go ahead and make a whole new nation. Forget about everybody else. The meekness of Moses was 
twofold. Number one, God, I don't want anybody talking bad about you. So they don't need to talk great about me. As long as they don't talk bad about you, we'll be good. And number two, if you can't forgive them, notice there's that little dash right there. Did you see that in verse 32? Yet now, if thou wilt, for, wilt forgive their sin. So what's that dash? That's that quiet pause I was talking about. He goes, uh, Lord, you know, if you'd be willing to forgive their sin. But if not, how about you go ahead and just take me? Isn't that the offering of Jesus Christ? Isn't the offering of Jesus Christ, uh, God, we've got to figure out a way to forgive their sins. We got another way? <laughs> well, if not, you can take me. And he laid down his life a ransom for many. Wasn't he humble? Willing to lay down his life? You say, what should my prayer life be able to be? Why is it so important to pray? Because you could be the reason that God changes his mind. Moses just changed God's mind, didn't he? Moses looked at God and said, you don't have to destroy them. You're too great to have to do that. How about you just go ahead? How about we forgive this? Can't we forgive? Can't we find a better way? Lord, I don't know what to do. Can't we find a better way? You get to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, the city of Nineveh. Wicked city. Gentiles. Bunch of awful people in there. God's ready to bring judgment. Jonah doesn't want to go because he knows how merciful God is. Jonah walks in, yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. Out he walks and he waits to find out if the city's going to get destroyed. And that king figured out, you know what all we got to do is repent and call upon God. Maybe he'll change his mind. Say, so what if he doesn't change his mind? Jonah's already set. What difference does it make? If he doesn't change his mind, we're no worse off. But if he changes his mind, we're a whole lot better. Well, you know, I don't know. God, could, God couldn't do that for me. Did it for a wicked nation. Didn't he do that for a wicked nation? Nineveh wasn't a, he's about to bring judgment. He's steamrolling them here in a minute. And they say, yeah, but if we repent, maybe God will have mercy. Maybe God will have mercy. And what if he doesn't? And you're under no less condemnation than you were under five minutes ago. Say, so is there a time when God won't change his mind? Absolutely. Certain things he can't change his mind on. But could you imagine Jeremiah chapter 15, verse number one, then the Lord said unto me, Jeremiah has been praying. And the Lord said unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Could you imagine being on that list right there? Could you imagine God showed up and, uh, you know, I was praying. I said, Lord, if you could change your mind on this. And he looked at me and he said, hey, look, if John Wall and Howard Bacon were asking me, I still wouldn't change my mind. You realize the compliment God just gave to Moses and Samuel? You, you realize that Moses and Samuel could basically ask God blank check anytime they felt like it, and God would go, I'll do that for you. That's how close those two men were to the God of the universe. 
said, oh, I, I can never. You have better access than Moses and Samuel ever had. You have better promises than Moses and Samuel ever had. You have the great high priest. You have the one sitting upon the throne. You have the one who is able to do, and you have immediate and open-ended access, unlimited, to be able to step into that room whenever you'd like and talk with the God of the universe. And then he looks at you and he says, if you're saved in here, you know what he says? You're my son, what wouldn't I do? If I could do it, and if it's going to be the best thing, why wouldn't I? I know there's conditions on our prayer, and all. I get it. If you ask it a miss, you ask it upon your own lust, and so on. I know all the verses. We got them all. Could you imagine walking into his throne room, and he'd had his mind made up on a situation, and you got to walk in and go, Lord, could you be merciful to them? They need a Savior still just for another day. Could you give them one more day so I can stop in? Could you imagine if he said, I'll give him one more day. Just because you asked. Hey God, uh, they're not ready to go home yet. I'm not ready for them to go home yet. Could you give me one more day? Could you give me one week? Could you say, oh, I couldn't ask God that. That's why you don't get it. That's why you don't receive it. Because you're unwilling to ask for it. You know why the Christian doesn't pray? I think the Christian doesn't pray because he's afraid God won't answer. He's afraid of the answer he's going to get when he asks God to do it. Because his parents had disappointed him too many times before. Well, my parents promised and they didn't. Why would God treat me any better? Because he's a better father than you've ever had. He's going to be better to you than anybody else ever possibly could because no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Would you be willing to ask him? Maybe you've been holding back on asking him for some things. Uh, you, better, you better stop that idea. These, these folks, I got a lot to say. I don't, want, I don't want to overstep anything. You know, this crazy, weird, what they're calling a revival. They look at me and, and my opinion and take it or leave it. Oh, it's because you don't want revival and you don't want, the, I don't want, I don't want revival. I'm a preacher. I want revival. I watched this weekend. You know what I wanted? I wanted revival. I think we got some reviving. If you were there, if you were listening, if you were watching, I hope it was reviving to you. I thought it brought some life to you. Praying Hyde, John Hyde. His statement was, the renewal of the church will depend on the renewal of our prayer life. Well, I want to be revived, but I don't want to pray. And you won't get reviving. I want revival. No, you want the appearance of revival. So what do they have? What do they have down there? I believe they have the appearance. Everybody's excited and everybody's stirred. But there's no new life. You could ask me later what I really think about it. I'm not going to say it today. And I have reasons. You can't get around. You need God. You need Him. Without me, you can do nothing. And sadly, most Christians leave off their highest privilege to be able to step into the throne room of God 
and ask him for anything. They say, well, I'll ask him for these little things, but I don't know. Parents, why don't you ask God to God-size some of the things you'd love your kids to have? Well, I don't know if God could do that with my kid. Why don't you ask him? See if maybe God would do it. Well, we don't have the resources. He does. <laughs> he does. And when he likes to pour out, he doesn't, he doesn't go light. He always makes sure. How about your job and your finances? How about your personal life and your walk with him? How about being a witness and a testimony? How about your family? How about your friends? How about your coworkers? How about the problems you're going through? How about the needs that you have? How about all the things? Could you trust and put your burden upon him? And rest in him knowing he's got it all under control. Yeah, but God wouldn't answer for me. Why wouldn't he? You're his kid, aren't you? Well, then maybe, maybe you have not because you asked not. And maybe the times when he tells you no are the times that you're just consuming it upon your own lust. And you'll be able to say, okay, God knows best. Thank you, Lord, for protecting me. So what's the importance of prayer? It's important because of somebody, the one you're coming to. It's important because it restores your friendship with him and it keeps it, keeps it fresh. It's the place you go to to leave your burdens. And it's the only way to change God's mind. It's the only way. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. We got some dead Christians in this world because they don't spend any time praying. Let's go ahead and stand. I'd be remiss to say this, and so I, I will say it now. The privilege of prayer is for the saints of God. We get to ask, and we get to talk to God. Say, why? Because we're His child. And without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior... The Bible makes it very plain. I don't mean to be mean and I don't mean to be rude, but it says that you're a child of the devil. His statement is, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. But Jesus Christ would love to adopt you into his family. And it's real simple. It's amazingly simple because the world, uh, everybody wants to make everything so complicated. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation is as simple as recognizing you're a, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And that Jesus Christ is that Savior. He gave his life a ransom for many. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. And he extends you the gift of eternal life if you'd be willing to take it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants to save to the uttermost. If there's someone here without Jesus Christ as their savior, we're gonna sing here in just a moment. I'd invite you to come and let me, let me know that you'd like to receive Jesus Christ or that you have questions. You'd be able to say, I don't know for sure, 100%. I'm going to heaven. I wanna make sure. The Bible says that you can know you can know your sins are forgiven and you can know heaven is your home for all of eternity because of what the Bible says. Get my attention and we'll have somebody take a Bible and answer your questions and show you out of the word of God how your sins are forgiven forever. Christian, I hope your prayer life's good. I hope your prayer life's good. I hope you sit with the Lord sometimes in just silence. I don't have time for that, okay? That's your problem. That's already your problem. You won't be willing to take time with him. Spend some time. It is the most important part of what you have.
It is the most important privilege, the privilege of prayer. Father, I thank you for the time. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to better ourselves in our own prayer lives, that we would grow in our confidence toward you, and we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you would bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.